God creates the world and everything in it. Humans are designed to live inside of this unique relationship, but they choose otherwise. The law of God is broken, and the heart of God is pierced. But the story isn't over. In the fullness of time, God gives his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus comes to seek and save those who are lost. Wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. On the cross, God is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathes his last. But the story isn't over. On the morning of the third day, the power of the living God erupts, breaking through death with the moment that will define all other moments. Perched at the edge of heaven, the angels stand in awe as one of their own rolls away the stone that's guarding the body of Jesus. As if anything can guard Jesus. He walks out of the tomb alive. He is victorious. He is conquering death and rendering the grave unnecessary. He is living and moving and breathing as only the risen Son of God can. But the story isn't over. We are, every one of us, searching and hoping and longing for life. It's a desire that's been deposited into our souls by the very same God who spoke it all into existence. And it's this exact life that the resurrection of Jesus invites us into. So bring your hopes, your regrets, your successes and your failures. Bring your doubts, your joys, your fears and your dreams. Be resolute and unwilling to settle for anything less than the abundant life of the risen King. Because truly, if the story isn't over, that what happens next might just change everything. The story isn't over. The story is still being written in and through our lives. Holidays are an interesting time, particularly when it comes to Christmas and Resurrection Sunday because of all the expectations. And I just want you to know, you're not here to listen to me preach this morning. You're here to listen to the voice of God speak to your soul. Rural, I, a rural country preacher had problems with his car and struggling to make ends meet, he took it to a mechanic and as he pulled it into the mechanic's shop, he was hoping to get a little bit of a break. How many know what that feels like? And so he said to the mechanic, um, I, I don't know if there's anything you do, but I'd appreciate your help. I'm just a poor preacher. And the mechanic said, I, said, I know, I heard you someday. <laughs> so this isn't about my preaching this morning. This is about the risen king. Hello? It's about the risen king. We have spent the Lenten season considering the seven utterances of Christ from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, telling us that the purpose of the cross 
was reaching people who were far from God. Says to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise, which tells us that he provided for our salvation. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother, that he was fully human and fulfilled his earthly responsibilities. Father, why have you forsaken me? Fully human, that it's okay to not be okay, that God will meet us there. I thirst, the scriptures were fulfilled, and then it is finished, nothing to be added to the story. And the last one we'll be examining a little bit this morning is when Jesus said from the cross, the last words that he uttered, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It seems like this should have been a personal, private expression to the Father, but Jesus said it out loud for all of us to hear it. And he's telling us something in his final words, something that we need to hear, something that we need to understand that is especially important on Resurrection Sunday. And simply, I want you to think first about this thought, Jesus put his life in the Father's hands. God the Son put his life in the hands of God the Father. We all know that on Good Friday, Jesus experienced death. And unfortunately, we sometimes jump from his experience of death directly to the resurrection and celebrate that without contemplating what that really meant. Do you know that Christianity has two dynamics that no other religion has? We have a God who came in embryo form. No other religion makes that claim, that God came in embryo form. And no other religion has a God who died and rose from the dead. And I want you to think about the human side of Jesus. Now, the thing that is really difficult about understanding the person work of Christ called Christology is what's called the kenosis. The kenosis is the laying aside of his independent exercise of deity. What does that even mean? It means that he was fully God and fully man. But while he lived on the earth, he did not operate by the power of his deity. He operated as the power of a man full of the Holy Spirit. And we all know that God, deity, Jesus, the Son of God, could not die. God cannot die. But God the Son, fully flesh, could die. And I don't want us to skip over that morning, I want, or that moment. I want you to think about what that would have felt like. When Jesus, eternal God, was in heaven, there in the ceaseless ages of eternity past, he came to a moment, the fullness of time, when he was going to leave the splendors of heaven and become a child. And that had to be a, a, a revolutionary, difficult moment for the Son of God, that he was going to cease to function as the one through whom the world is held together and become a baby, a baby that would not be able to care for itself, a baby that would have to be fed, a baby that would have to be clothed. How many of you know that there are three things babies do when they're little? They cry, they eat, and they dirty diapers. Well, they do laugh, and that's why we keep them, but there's a whole other <laughs> side to that. Jesus is going to become a baby, 
but he is still alive, not cognizant. We watch him grow. We see him come into the temple at 12 years old when he's becoming aware of who he is and what God is, the Father is doing through his life when he said, didn't you know I must be about my Father's business? And then he goes on to grow until we see him in the wilderness of testing. We see him baptized in water and launching his earthly ministry. When his earthly ministry is launched, for three and a half years he goes about healing the sick, casting out devils, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and now he's facing trial, crucifixion, and death. He's hanging on the cross, and what's going to happen? Something's going to happen that's never happened before. God the Son is going to be completely out of control. He is not in a place where he will be able to resurrect himself because he will be dead. And if the human Jesus is going to fulfill his calling and everything that he's lived for, in that moment, as he hangs on the cross, he is saying, Father, I put my life in your charge. Father, I put my life in your hands. Whatever happens from this point on is fully at the will and control of God the Father. Absolute, ultimate, complete trust happens at that moment of death when he surrendered it all. What an awesome moment that is. All I can tell you is when I was praying over this message and thinking about what happened there, and I thought about those words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It means to commit to another's charge. We can see through his life that Jesus trusted the Father fully in the garden when he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. I come to fulfill the will of the Father. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He did all of that all through his life. But can you see that in this moment of death, this is a, an entirely different level of putting confidence in the Father. I've often thought about, not often, once in a while I think about what dying will be like. That moment when you pass from this life to the next. The things that people say reveal things about them, but it's at a moment where everything you believe, everything you've lived for, is now coming to a final test. I can pray today. I can fast today. I can memorize scriptures today. I can confess my faith today. I can make all kinds of proclamations today. But there's a day coming when I will have nothing more that I can do, nothing that I can invest, nothing that I can pray, nothing that I can put into the process except to say, Jesus into your hands, I commit my spirit. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Because all of life for all of us is gonna to come to a moment when we're no longer capable of making decisions or making choices. I've shared this story before, but it's easy to be on the side of life facing death. 
for someone else. When my mother was preparing the end of her life journey, she let us know that she wanted to be cremated. And my response to her always was, you'll never know. Right? You won't know. Now, I'm not... Some of you are looking at me like, what is wrong with him? <laughs> Trying to illustrate that when you die, you're done. And you have to trust that what you believe is true and that God is faithful. Amen. And how do you get there? By a life lived, learning how to trust him. Jesus is saying to us, you can trust the Father at the end of the journey. His life is ending and he's trusting his Father in the process. And the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. He didn't lay there and say, Jesus, come out of the grave. He's dead. But the Father, by the Spirit of God, raised him from the dead. Did God honor that commitment? In what level was that commitment honored? I'm telling you that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And in his resurrection, we see a progression that lets us know when you put your faith in the risen Jesus and your faith in God the Father, what will that look like? Well, that's what we celebrate this morning. Very early in the morning, the women came to the tomb and they found his body already taken away. Peter and John run there and they come back with a message, his body is gone the Bible tells us this, Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, I want you, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. In John 17, he's praying for that moment that they will see what you've done and that when you, when you raise me up, when you restore me, they'll see that glory. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, preaching about Jesus. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 1 records it this way. The former treatise of I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day was taken up. After that, through the Holy Ghost, he had given commandments to the apostles to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. So there's a period of time between the resurrection and the ascension that he's walking around in human form, showing himself alive so that they would know that the human Jesus wasn't just spiritually resurrected, but that the resurrection is real and that he is alive. The Bible tells us in John's gospel, then the same day at evening being assembled at the first day of the week when the doors were shut, here's the first demonstration of the power of the resurrected Christ. Jesus came and stood in the midst with the doors locked and said, peace be to you. And when he had said so, he showed them his hands and his side. So how many know this is a different Jesus? Before the resurrection, he can't walk through walls. After the resurrection, so that they will see it, the doors are locked. They're afraid. Jesus appears in the room. But this Jesus, while, while resurrected, shows them his scars. It's me. And when they saw his scars, they were joyful. 
Let's take another visit. After this, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They gathered together on the mountaintop, and while Jesus is talking to them, they've seen him walk, they've seen his scars, they've touched his side, they've felt his flesh, they know that he's alive. Can you imagine what that would have been like in that moment on the day of the ascension to watch him rise up into the heavens. How awesome that might have been. I read a story of a large church that was doing a Christmas or an Easter pageant and they were going to do the ascension while the harness was on the character playing Jesus and a cable to his back and they're cranking him up and the disciples are there watching about two-thirds of the way up the cable gets stuck and Jesus is hanging there. They're trying to get it loose, and whatever was kinking the cable came loose, and Jesus starts falling back to the earth. They catch him on the cable and hold him before he crashes into the ground, and not breaking character, the character playing Jesus looked at them and said, oh, and one more thing. <laughs> Love one another. It didn't happen like that. He ascended up out of their sight and he is gone. Gone from what an incredible picture from dead in a tomb to alive, going through doors to standing before them and ascending to the Father. But that's not the last time we see him. Do you want to see how much God the Father answered Jesus' prayer? when he committed his spirit into the hands of the Father. I was reading in Revelation, and John records, on the Lord's day I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I turned and saw someone like the Son of Man. He was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his hand he held the seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face like the shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as the dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. God answered that prayer by fully resurrecting and glorifying Jesus. And we see him in that expression in John's vision. Why go through all of that? Because you and I are mud and clay today. But there's a day coming. <laughs> are you hearing me this morning? If we commit ourselves to the Father, the Father fully answers that prayer. Jesus' trust in the Father was fully rewarded. Now, what I really find interesting after Jesus says to them, Father, or in their hearing, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, that bystanders began in that moment before the resurrection 
to put their faith in the one who put his faith in the Father. They began to believe. There's the confession of the centurion who in Luke's gospel says, surely this was a righteous man. Matthew says that after the earthquake, he exclaimed, surely this was the son of God. Now, which way was it? You can argue scripture. Did he say righteous or son of God? I believe he said both. I believe he said this was a righteous man. Then there was an earthquake and he said, no, this was the son of God. After all of these things, immediately upon hearing Jesus say, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit, a centurion, a brutal, bloody man, who's standing there watching multitudes of crucifixions and is witnessing the death of Jesus, watches him die and hears him say his final prayer. And it turns his heart toward Jesus. There is something that moves the heart of people when they see people who put their faith in the Father. Watching Jesus die, following his expression of faith, produced faith in the centurion. Then you watch in Luke the response of the crowd. They had come to watch. It says those that knew him stood at a distance. But what happens to those who had come to watch when there's the great darkness and the earthquake and Jesus' final expression and he dies hanging on the cross? What, what happens then? What is their response? Those who came to watch the show beat their chest and feel remorse and guilt because they know what had just happened wasn't right by human standards. What, what do we call that? We call that repentance. We call that remorse. Godly sorrow works repentance. You will never come to a place of faith until you feel sorrow over where you have been on life's journey. And when you experience that moment of remorse, it's a call to experience the grace that God gives. And in that moment, they stand there. They, what have they done? They've scoffed. They've watched soldiers gamble for his clothes. They've mocked him, put a sign over his head to ridicule him. But in that moment, when he expresses his confidence in the Father, they smite their chest in remorse and guilt. What's happening there? They're moving closer to a place of faith. Something is happening in them spiritually. When bystanders see others put their faith in the Father, they are moved by, to an act of faith. The Bible tells us then lastly in this whole, this whole um, progression that there was a man named Joseph who was from Arimathea and he was a part of the Sanhedrin, part of the council. And the Bible tells us in John that he was a secret disciple. Now I'm going to suggest to you that you can't stay a secret disciple very long. You'll either become a follower or you'll walk away. But Joseph doesn't want to pay the price of what it will cost him to stand up and be counted for his faith because he will be ridiculed and criticized by his peers. And he certainly doesn't want that to happen. And so he's sympathetic and he's responding, but secretly so that no one knows. 
Mark and Luke tell us about him that he was waiting for the coming of the kingdom of God. Luke tells us that when Jesus was sentenced to death, that, that he refused to endorse or vote for their actions. So he begins to start to respond. But after Jesus is dead, what does he do? Mark tells us that he went boldly. This secret disciple this secret disciple who watches Jesus die goes boldly and asks for the body of Jesus because now he cares about what is happening and doesn't care who knows or who sees him to prepare the body for burial so they can be put in a sepulcher. I'm telling you that in that moment, the part that we miss when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, what happens in the lives of those that are around, they're moving forward to faith. Faith is growing in their hearts. And I want to suggest to you that if you're a skeptic this morning, if you're a doubter this morning, if you're not sure any of this is true, and you just came so you could have ham for lunch, I dare you, I dare you to hang around some sincere Christ followers and watch their life. Oh, it's easy to pick out the hypocrites, the ones that you can criticize, but find someone that really loves Jesus and walk with them. And here's what you'll see. You'll see mistakes. You'll see failures, but you'll see someone who constantly comes back and says, Father, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you on the mountaintop in the valley, in the shadow of death, or on the mountaintop of victory. I trust you because the demonstrations of faith will change us. Bystanders began to put their faith in Jesus. Third, what do we draw from this? Jesus put his faith in the Father. Bystanders began to put their faith in Jesus. The message of his final prayer is this, that I hope you grab this morning. When we see Jesus raised from the dead and standing at the right hand of the Father, the glory of God demonstrated in him. I want you to know this morning that God can be trusted. Jesus trusted him completely, and you can trust him completely. The battle going on in our world is not political, it's not economic, it's not social, it's spiritual. There's a battle for the souls of men and women all over this planet. And I believe that Hebrews chapter 11 gives us the key to what this is all about when the writer of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so I just want to make it clear this morning. Those of you that know me, know that I enjoy a good debate. How long will I debate you? Till I win. <laughs> I do not weary in well-doing when it comes to a debate. But here's what I've learned. I can argue with you intellectually. I can argue with you historically. 
I can argue with you ontologically. I can put all the arguments in a row that point to a God who is real and a Jesus who is real. I can lay those all out there. And if you don't want to believe, you will not believe. Because the issue is not one of fact. It's not one of intellect. It's not one of research. It's one of believing. He that comes to God must believe. Well, I just, I'm not a believer. I was listening to an agnostic and listening to an atheist debating a believer. And when all the arguments are done, it's like, what are you going to trust? Where are you going to put your confidence? What are you going to do with this Jesus? What are you going to do with this story? Because if you do the research, you'll find that there never was a charge brought against him that ever stuck. There wasn't anyone who witnessed the resurrection that defected from their faith. The disciples went from there and gave their lives for this story. Churches have been built. Nations have been reached. A revival has gone around the globe all from that moment of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And you can choose not to believe and you can push it away. But someday you're going to face that same moment of death. And what will be your declaration? Father, I believe he that comes to God must believe that he is. Must believe that he is. Believers, I need to talk to you for a minute. Because I'm not sure we always believe that he is. We try to do things in our own strength, in our own way. And in that moment, Jesus couldn't do anything. He couldn't fast, could he? He couldn't give. He couldn't pray. He couldn't do anything more. He just had to trust. You have to believe that he is. And if God is, <laughs> if God is, there isn't anything that is impossible. Some years ago, I spoke at a baccalaureate service. And in that service, I felt like God dropped something in my heart that has challenged me ever since. It didn't originate with me. But it was this idea when we talk about creation because Hebrews 11 starts with that concept and what you believe about the creation of the world. And this morning I would ask you the same thing that I don't care whether you believe he created the world in six literal days. You can do whatever you want with that. I have another question for you. Is the God that you believe in big enough that he could have? Is he big enough? How big is your God? Is he, because if he exists, are you hearing me right now? If he exists, there isn't anything that is impossible to him. And coming to him requires that you believe that he is. That's the source of the whole story. If you don't want to believe, this is just myth. It's fiction. It's mythology. It's just a story that's told year after year after year to to dupe the simple-minded to believe in a religious paradigm. And I'm telling you, oh no, it is so much bigger than that. A God who came in embryo, dies on the cross, raises from the dead, no evidence ever anywhere at any time to dispute the story. And if it had been available, they would have used it to dispute the story. It stands untarnished. It stands true. And the call to you is you have to do something with that. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And what? And that he rewards. 
You saw the story as I tried to paint it of how Jesus was restored to the glory of the Father in those moments of death and dying to the glorified Son of God. He rewards. How many of you have ever had a big mess in your life? Six of you, the rest of you are still in it. How many of you have ever experienced a big mess? And you looked at your life, looked at your mess, and said, there isn't any way to fix this. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> there isn't any way to fix it. Until you believe in a God who is. And a God who is a rewarder of those that seek him. Because if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you will find if you knock, it will be opened. And I dare you to move from a place of doubt and unbelief and step into the realm of faith. And when you seek him, you will find him if you search for him with all of your heart and he will reward you. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Heaven is not a myth. It's a very real place that we are looking forward to spending eternity with our Father and God the Son and God the Spirit forever and ever and ever because I'm absolutely convinced not only that he is but in my life I have stories of him being a rewarder that he doesn't forsake you he walks with you and can bring life out of your death but you have to diligently seek him Pastor Nathan if you'd come this is what I want you to grab hold of this morning. If you're a child of God, a Christ follower, <laughs> have you committed your life into the hands of the Father? I wonder if we have. That we trust him with everything. One of the simple tests of that is your finances. Well, I can't afford to tithe. You've not committed yourself to him. Well, I can't afford to be at church. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. means that you've not fully committed yourself into the hands of the Father. And as long as you play both sides, you'll not be rewarded. And to those of you that are questioning, a skeptic, who wonders how you got in here and how much longer before you get out, I promise I won't preach over another hour. I'm saying to you that he died and rose from the dead to declare to you he is the only way of life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. To Christ's followers this morning, here's my question to you. I've prayed, I've given my life to Jesus, but there's an area of my life that I've not been able to trust him fully yet. I've not been able to commit myself fully. When you commit yourself fully, you have the power of his resurrection life. And he put his finger on your heart this morning and said, will you give it to me? Will you trust me? If you're a child of God, a Christ follower, no one looking around, a private moment, just slip your hand up and say, I'm gonna trust him completely. I'm gonna put my life in his hands. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. Hands going up all around. I want to encourage you with all that I have this morning that if you will diligently seek him, he will reward you. But you have to let go of it and trust him to do what he will do. Secondly, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I can't argue you in the kingdom, but I can call you to believe into the kingdom. And with no one looking around, you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. Because this morning I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to trust in his resurrection power. And I want to begin a new journey with him. If you're in that place, you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. No one looking around in a private moment. Would you just slip up your hand and acknowledge that so that I can pray with you? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else quickly? Hold your hand up. God's talking to you. He's moving on your heart right now. I want you to be able to respond to him. Yes, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Yes, thank you. Hold your hand up. I'm going to ask everyone in the house to pray this prayer out loud. And the, this prayer isn't magical. There's no magical power in the words. It's what you mean from your heart. It's just a way to help you pray the prayer. And if you pray it and mean it or say it in your own words... God is going to plant the seed of life inside of you. You're going to begin a new journey with him. And we want to be able to walk with you. So everyone pray this prayer out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize my failures and I need forgiveness. I ask you to forgive my sins and to make me new. I believe that you died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. And I believe that you rose from the dead so that I could have newness of life. I believe in you and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. And I promise to serve you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, 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 Amen. Let's give God praise this morning. Do we have that slide? Do we have that Connect slide back there? If we do have, could you put that up? If you have made, not the Connect groups, the the, um, 77411, If you've made a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ this morning, we want to connect with you. And the best way for you to do that is write on a card, drop it in the box, or just text the word um, GROW to 77411. Text the word GROW to 77411 so that we can connect with you and walk with you and pray for you. All right? It's the best way for us to connect. I'm so thankful for the power of resurrection, aren't you? Let's stand together. Pastor Nathan's going to lead us as we close the service in just some time giving thanks to God and let him speak to your heart as we worship. Lord, I come with all I am, with all I have. I lay my life down. 
myself to you, all my praise to you, I relinquish it all, I retire from all my ways, I surrender it all, I surrender it all, I surrender it all to you, my God. I surrender it all, I surrender it all, I surrender it all to you, my God. Lord, you gave. Lord, you gave your life for me, willingly. Lord, you hung upon that tree. You broke your body. You gave up your right to life. It's a holy sacrifice. You relinquished it all. You retired from all your ways. You surrendered it all. You surrendered it all. You surrendered it all. For me, my God. Oh, you surrendered it you surrendered it all. You surrendered it all for me, my God. So I surrender it all. Come on, sing. I surrender it all. To you, my God. I surrender it all. I surrender it all, I surrender it all to you, my God, to you, my God, to you, my God, I surrender it all to you, my God, to you, my God. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you modeled for us trusting the Father and that you provided a way for us to be at one with the Father. Lord, I pray for those who made a commitment of their life to you this morning that you will, that you'll continue to minister to them and lead them and water that seed that you've planted in them. And for the rest of us, that we will learn how to commit ourselves fully to the will of the Father because of the power of the resurrection in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. So glad you're here this morning. Thank you again for your faithful giving, your generosity, all you're doing for the kingdom. And if you're a first-timer here, you are home. We're glad that you're here. Take time to encourage someone, eat another donut, and uh, give someone a hug. God bless you.